Have you ever wondered what it's like for other people to go through a life event? Is it the same for them? Is it different? And how? My name is Dr. Nikkel Rogers-Webb. I'm a psychologist. I'm doing a podcast with my mom, Dr. Elsa Rogers, Dean of General Studies. And we're going to be talking to different people about what it's like to go through a single life event at the same time. So we are coming to an end of our very first season of At The Same Time. Thank you for listening. And we wanted to kind of create a, a nice soft landing space um, for all of our conversations. Because this first season, we're talking about living through a pandemic from lots of different points of view. And since we are whole beings, we thought it might be nice to end the season looking at our spiritual selves and the thoughts, feelings, emotions that come up in living through a pandemic and how different faith perspectives speak to that uh, and can help us navigate these very difficult times. So it's going to be a three-part ending for us where we talk with different people. So our first guest in this three-part series on spirituality and coping through the pandemic is Mr. Ron Caldwell. He is a teacher at the Kadampa Meditation Center in Tampa Bay. And he comes on and tells us a lot about Buddhism, the happy mind, and really the gift that is our ability to change our minds. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of At The Same Time. And this time, we are really lucky to have Ron Caldwell here with us. He is a teacher at the Kadampa Buddhism Center out in Safety Harbor, Florida. And I'm going to let him kind of talk a little bit more about his practice and Kadampa Buddhism, because I most certainly am not an expert, and he is. So, um, Ron, tell us a little bit more about you and your practice. Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm one of the volunteer teachers that teaches at the uh, KMC Tampa Bay uh, Center, which is located in Safety Harbor. I um, have been in the teacher training program for approximately five years now. And um, basically what we do is we give uh, Buddhist teachings from our founder, uh, Geshe Kelsen Gyatso's perspective and commentary and teachings. So we actually work from his books on Buddhist teachings, and we have general classes for uh, anyone and everyone who's welcome to join at any time. Well, that's really wonderful that it's so open to kind of anybody. And I guess what I wonder, um, well, I was reading a little bit about Kadampa Buddhism, and and please correct me if I'm wrong here, but it seems like one of um, the main kind of tenets of the practice is providing kind of more open access to a modern world so that more people can get connected to the practice? That is correct. That is correct. Basically, um, Kadam Buddhism has been around for quite some time, and it was originated through uh, a master, Atisha, who went to um, Tibet and from India, and he brought what was known as the old Kadam system. From there, it was passed on from teacher to student, and eventually... The master, uh, Jason Kappa, had refined it a little bit more, and it became the new uh, Kadampa tradition until it got to our founder, our uh, spiritual guide, Geshe Kyo Sengyatso, 
who has uh, from permission from his teacher to teach it in a more modern way, so it's open to all and everyone. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. And and Ron, uh, I too did some some of my homework in um, reviewing your um, your website, and I wonder how is Kadampa different from traditional Buddhism. Well, basically, uh, it's really not that much different. It's just more of an open approach to it. Whereas some of the other lineages of Buddhism, uh, especially uh, Tibetan style, was a little bit more strict and actually taught in Tibetan and things like that, where it was translated. Our, our founder actually had already translated a lot of it for us so it's done in an open format so we can have more of accessibility and recently i believe we found found out that it's we've translated the teachings in um i think five or six different languages already so it's more accessible to everyone around the world oh how did you become uh interested in buddhism what path did you take to where you are now? <laughs> well, it usually is most people, you know, something uh-huh. traumatic or a medical experience happens in your life and you yeah. get the, what is my life all about, you know, question. Yeah. And uh, basically that happened to me. And I searched, you know, at the time and I was searching and I'm like, okay, the answers that are from my traditional background of spirituality has not been answered. So be honest with you, I looked around my apartment one day and I said, wow, I have a lot of Buddha heads in here. I wonder why. <laughs> ah. So that just opened, opened my mind to saying, well, let's see what the teachings of Buddha have. Oh. So you were kind of drawn to something. Correct. About Buddhism. And you, it was just a matter of kind of almost like timing where you said, I'm not finding mm-hmm. anything where I'm seeking. Where have I not looked? Yes, that is correct. That is exactly what happened. I'm the continuous search, and finally, I actually went through many different schools of Buddhism before I even landed in the uh, home of the uh, Kadampa. <laughs> oh, I see. You mentioned that you are a teacher. Are you, um, by trade, a teacher, or did you just fall into this role uh, once you encountered Buddhism? It's actually I'm I my original uh, employment. I was. Uh, employed in law enforcement in New York City for uh, over 20 years. And um, when I retired is when I found into it. And basically, my former resident teacher, Gen Chokian, a ordained monk, came to me one day and said, how would you like to teach? And I I was already in one of the study programs that we had because Keshe Kyosen Gyatso has designed the programs where we would have a general program for anybody who'd like to just go for basic classes. Then we have what's known as a foundation program, which is a little bit more in-depth and uh, a little bit more study. And then there's the teacher training program to actually become a teacher and a spiritual uh, guide in that sort of way. And I was in the foundation program and uh, in Chokian said, would you like to teach? And I said, there are no hills to run away in Florida. (laughs) (laughs) So I said, okay. And I was kind of persuaded. And ever since then, I've been enjoying it. What has that path been like? Because I imagine that there are some differences in terms of being kind of a, a follower or somebody who practices versus somebody who is leading others and and teaching and guiding. Yes. Well, basically, um, as one of my uh, former teachers would explain to us, 
He says, your, your teaching is basically explaining your practice. So you're just so you're oh. basically giving your perspective of your practice and understanding of it. And through blessings, you'll be able to purify and help others purify their minds through your example. So, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you can enjoy the teachings. And if you feel this need to be able to give these teachings, there is the ability to do so. Oh, well, I like that because it's, it's very yeah. um, personal. And I guess what I mean by that is that it, instead of some very kind of far off theory, mm-hmm. I, I'm hearing, you know, kind of you say that, that people are able to kind of talk to you and learn from you and, and how you practice as opposed to you saying, well, I read this in a book and so we should just do it like this. Correct. Correct. And um, I have been had the good fortune of actually having many, many senior teachers and ordained and lay teachers give many teachings and every single one of them have given a personal experience of how they use the teachings as we call it dharma in their own personal life and that's mm-hmm. the foundation of what our uh, spiritual guide uh geshe kyosen gyatso wants us to do is to use and this is why he calls it modern is to take the teachings of buddha and incorporate them into our modern day life and become part of our life Mm-hmm. Okay, but, but uh, tell me, um, have people from other faiths found what they've been looking for in your tradition? I believe so. I've had many different faiths actually show up for my classes. I've had um, mm-hmm. women who, I remember them clearly, from a very uh, Christian background. And, you know, it was, it was, it was interesting because there were about four of them, and each one of them had a different perspective. And it went from, oh, no, I can't be in this room with these idols to all the way into, wow, this is going to help me with my prayer and concentration. So, Mm. you know, the openness is there. So it's an amazing Mm -hmm. thing. And like I said, we welcome everyone. Oh, that's great. Tell me, what I know of Buddhism is what I see sometimes on the streets in New York whenever I visit there. Mm -hmm. Your practice seems to be different. But... uh, do you find any uh, resistance if you were to go out and talk about your faith, or do you just, or do you not politicize? We don't really prophetize it that much, but we do have mm-hmm. open, free talks for people to enjoy and come listen. So we have that uh, openness for everyone, and you know, mm-hmm. we want people to realize because, like I said, our founder, every time he's opened up a temple, he's his thing is all a welcome. And he says, all welcome. And that is our, mm-hmm. our, you know, basically our fallback line that we use. And because we want everyone to have the ability to come in. If you come in, if you enjoy it, great. If you, if it's not for you, that's fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like that sense of welcome that uh, you seem to kind of portray as we listen to you. Mm-hmm. Well, like I said, we really try to portray that as, you know, everyone is welcome. And as our founder has said many, many times, Buddhist teachings are open to everyone and they're welcoming for everyone and depending on your own faith and spirituality and background it may be not a buddhist way of saying it to you but it may be something whereas your faith is saying the exact same thing and we want you to recognize that because when you have that you have clarity of mind and if you have clarity of mind you have peace of mind mm-hmm. so i'm hearing like, and i have heard this from people from um many different faith traditions that there's a lot more overlap 
than maybe is discussed yeah. traditionally. And so, I mean, it's a really kind of neat thing to see that, oh, yeah. that we, we need not be afraid of other faith traditions. We should learn. Exactly. Exactly. I agree with that a hundred percent. So I yeah. do have a question and this is um, in my head, at least I want to hear the pre COVID version of this <laughs> and then the post COVID version. So at your meditation center, how do you all build community? Cause it, like you said, all are welcome. So I imagine that it's a really diverse group of people kind of coming together when we used to be able to physically be in the same place. The best way was Google. (laughs) If you Google this, we'd pop right up and, you know, people would call and ask, you know, what do we wear or what should we expect? And even on our website itself, KMC Tampa Bay, meditationintampabay.org is, it tells you right on there what to expect, what to see. Mm -hmm. Um, people were more than welcome to come in. We used to have a lot of students from the local colleges who were doing world religion, and they would be, come and visit us too. And a lot of times they would even, after the class, they would come back and enjoy more classes with us. So that's what we did beforehand. Since COVID, we have gone completely online. We are doing Zoom classes, which in the very beginning, it was a little awkward for some and including myself as a teacher, Mm -hmm. because you're not seeing the interaction as much as, uh, you know, a face-to-face teaching, (laughs) because usually you can guide your teachings if your students are understanding the topic that you're teaching a little bit more so by seeing the expressions on their faces. Oh, so yeah, people don't have their cameras on, then it's like... (laughs) Well, in the beginning, we didn't, but when we started to ask people, was that what they wanted? And we have opened it up to having their cameras on, which really helps out for the teacher and for them because mm-hmm. now they have a real sense of community within themselves. And we're really enjoying just just chatting and talking about uh, Buddhist teachings, which we call the Dharma. And so when they have the Dharma t- topics and they're enjoying them and they're seeing how they're actually using them in their day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. And then I guess what I wonder kind of related in terms of the COVID pandemic has what you teach about the Dharma or how you like how you focus on it shifted because I imagine that in your community there's a lot of stress strain struggle I mean in any community right Mm -hmm. now it's very hard oh definitely we have geared the teachings more towards dealing with adversity during these times recently we just finished a a six-week series on dealing with adversity based on uh, Geshe Kelsen's book, The New Eight, to, Eight Steps to Happiness, which is uh, based on the traditional teachings of Eight Steps to Training the Mind by Geshe Otoa, a Buddhist master mm-hmm. from the past. And by understanding, using these teachings in modern day times of how to understand that cherishing others, removing your mind from mm-hmm. self-grasping, and how it will give you a happy mind to deal with the situations that you're going through because right now everyone is having all kinds of thoughts and wondering minds and you know we call it the monkey mind and it just continues over and over again so if you can have a basis of a place where you can start to meditate relax your mind let go of all these transient mm-hmm. thoughts and let your mind be happy you can deal with anything that comes along can you talk a little bit more mm-hmm. about that? Because I am sure that you know many listeners 
with are kind of going, oh my gosh, give me more of that, <laughs> that right there. <laughs> yeah, basically, like I said, the teachings of Buddha have always dealt with the um, understanding of letting go of the cherishing mind, self-cherishing mind, and the self-grasping mind. Because what happens is when we self-grasp with our minds and self-cherishing, we're actually creating our own problems. Mm. And we don't see that because we want to make everything external and blame it on other things. But in reality, our mind controls our thoughts. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that Buddhist teachings teach us that. So if we can understand that, just the basic uh, philosophy of that alone, we can actually attack the delusional thoughts that we have. Mm. So we can sit there and say, okay, my mind created this moment of anger. Uh-huh. Why was I angry? Because my needs were not met. Well, why were my needs not met? And you can break it down slowly through meditation mm-hmm. and just keep contemplating it till you find out where you say, I have the ability to release this anger and have a happy mind. You know, in a way, it reminds me of the old saying, get out of your own way. Because sometimes, <laughs> you know, you are, you are the one who creates the problems for yes, yourself. Exactly, exactly. And as in Buddhist teachings, we say that is the uh, delusional mind keeping us entrapped in what we call samsara, impure world. No, I was just thinking, um, part of, it's very strange because this kind of goes back to something you were saying before about how certain things may be kind of leading us down a path and we don't even really realize it. Mm -hmm. I was doing um, my continuing education to make sure I could keep my license to practice <laughs> as a psychologist. <laughs> and I had heard about this therapy, this theory of therapy a couple of years ago called acceptance and commitment therapy. And I was like, well, that sounds interesting. Let me, you know, let me get some continuing education hours on that. And they spend a lot of time talking about what you just said. And I think there are a lot of like Buddhist thought underpinnings oh, yeah. in there where um, so you've heard of the theory then? Well, I haven't heard of the theory, but I can see where you're going with it. And it definitely follows that, exactly what, you're, what we're saying here. Because it talks a lot about, like, when you're trying to explain it to clients, it kind of talks about how a lot of our experience is driven by what we think. Mm-hmm. And we're not necessarily able to control what we think, but we can release or hold on to things. And that makes a huge difference in terms of how we live or what we want our lives to be about. Um, and so it's it's kind of quite the opposite of, mm-hmm. I think, how a lot of people come to, quote, problem solving, where it's like, if I can just think my way out of it and hold on to this one solution, mm-hmm. everything is great. And it's it's quite the opposite. And I, I watched, I started using it because I thought, oh, that is, that is something new and different and like I don't know somehow it resonated Mm -hmm. and to watch the clients kind of go wait you want me to what like not hold on to wait um so it's interesting to kind of hear you as a teacher kind of talking about what that looks like oh yeah but it also it also explains to me, or, or rather the way you put it, Nikhil, and the way Ron, the way you explained it, when you said the self-grasping mind, you know, I I thought initially that you were talking about materialism, but it's not it's a matter of grasping and holding on to the way you think and the way you see the world. And if you let go of that, then you begin to make some progress. Exactly. Exactly. That's it. But see the thing is we have been taught. And as Buddhist teaching says, millennia, 
that over and over again that we're, you know, we have this mind that says, this is mine. I am this, you know, I hold on to this. The more possessions I am, the happier I'll be. When in reality, not there's not the happiness. The happiness is created within you. Yeah. So when you let go of that and understand that, it's just one of those things that lets go and you just have this almost this burden lifted from your mind. Yeah. Correct. Correct. So wow. in terms of, I guess, to just continue kind of what we were saying about the pandemic, in terms of persevering in a situation like the one we're in, how might letting go of kind of who we think we are or what we think our situation is, how, how, might, how might that help? And then how, how do people even put themselves in the space to be able to do something like that? Or is that part of just practice? Well, it's a little of all of the above. And what it is, is very simple. Using the pandemic itself has been a, a virtue in a way because we're isolated, but yet we still have time now where we're um, basically at home, not running around, continuously doing things. So we can take that time to actually build upon our own spiritualness, our own mental health, just by taking the time to pause because we never give ourselves the time to pause. So a lot of my students have been using this time as their own personal retreat time. So it's, you know, the ability to do that because you're not, you know, commuting to work, you're not running all over the place. Even, yeah. even if you're home, working from home, there's a time period now that you can just shut down for your lunch hour and just, you know, take the time to meditate and contemplate. How are you feeling? Why are these feelings arising? Why do I feel that these needs are not being met? And you can actually analyze each and every one of them. So you can actually grow from this to become a better being all over. Mm -hmm. People have, um, you know, when we, when we think of meditation, some people say they cannot really meditate because it's difficult for them to empty their mind. Mm -hmm. What kind of suggestions can you give for people who may have that problem? Well, one of the things that we do is we teach a, a basic meditation in the very beginning of each class. We start off with a breathing meditation, just focusing on the breath. One of the things that we truly like to explain is from the first time you try it to the second time, you've already improved. And even though it may be a millisecond or two seconds or three seconds, it's still time that you've improved and rejoice in that improvement. Because a lot of times we get frustrated, extremely frustrated, saying, oh, I, yeah. can't, I can't do this. And we call it, like I said, the monkey mind. Because once we settle down, we see how busy our mind truly is. Oh, yes. And that's the scary thing because a lot of times that scares people. It's like, whoa, am I really thinking like this all the time? So what we do is we say just try to focus on your breath, the inhalation and exhalation of the breath. And one of the recommendations is if you can do it, for seven breaths complete of just focusing, then try to do it for another seven, then try to do it for another seven. So each time you're building each time on the meditation, so eventually you can do so. We don't recommend doing anything with any kind of music or uh, candles or anything like that, only because it can be distracting. Because you can, if you've got music going, you're going to follow the music and you're just going to go off where the music is going. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. So meditation is basically holding on to a virtuous mind as long as possible. Because when you arise from a meditation, 
with that virtuous mind, your actions become virtuous. Mm. So how does kind of practice, the practice of Buddhism, um, I guess I'm thinking back to connectivity Mm -hmm. and how people kind of come together. Mm -hmm. How does, you know, kind of continuing to practice maybe shape or change how we interact with other people or does it? Oh, it does, definitely. Um, One of the things is that when we try to live by the teachings, we actually see beings as, um, as we put it in our our terms, our very kind mothers, which is based upon the uh, idea that if we are reincarnated life after life, doesn't that mean our parents were reincarnated life after life? So we may not recognize them. So that would mean every single being out there could be our kind mother or father or brother or sister. So if we have this respect for them in this life and assuming that each and every single one of them, then we would be kind to each being and that will help us. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it helps us kind of keep in mind how we're all connected. Correct. Food for thought. Sounds like you've got a question there, Ron. I'm thinking thinking (laughs) food for thought. It it reminds me of... um, Native American tradition, where they believe that everything has a life and everything is connected, even the grass of the fields, the stones, the rocks, all of those things. There is some connection within and among everything and everyone in the world. Yeah, we do that, but we also keep it to um, sentient beings Mm -hmm. who have consciousness. So we don't go into the uh, basics of like plants and things like that. You know, some traditions take it even farther than that, you know, like you said, the uh, Native Americans. But in Buddhism itself, it just sees through the consciousness of being the one that has it. Like, you know, we animals, um, we actually have what they call the wheel of life, which has different stages of where we are in the world. You know, it starts off with the lower realms, which would be hell beings, hungry ghosts, animals, humans, demigods, gods. And this cycle continues being stuck, which is what we call samsara, mm-hmm. being stuck within it. And um, from there, if you've ever seen a picture of it, it's this beautiful wheel and what we call the Lord of Death, Yama, is holding mm-hmm. it. And there's a picture of Buddha on one corner and the moon, and he's pointing to the moon, which is the enlightenment getting out of that system itself. And you can use it as, like I said, a spiritual way. There's also a philosophical way of using it, understanding it could be you know, what your mind is going through, each part of your mind, you know, being in a hell, that type yeah, of thing. It, it seems like faith is not just about just the practice of it. It also seems to have another layer of like philosophy, mm-hmm. how you think about things, not just what you do. Yeah, correct. Yeah. 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 But tell yeah. me, in, in this, I call it the age of COVID. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you did that, Mom. That's oh dear. It's like a an era. <laughs> well, it is. Well, it is. She's correct. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But I wonder though, what do you foresee of um, let's say, human behavior after this age? In other words, sh- do you think that we'd be more uh, sensitive to the needs of others, or are we going to be? We've been so isolated that we would prefer to remain the way we are just because we've become used to it. Well, there's multiple sides to that Mm -hmm. itself, because if you think about it, um, if we have been 
to the point where we're almost starved for connection. Mm -hmm. You know, we will see each other as that connection so important that we look at that as that connection as almost like a blessing that we have it now. So we'll yeah. cherish it more. Mm -hmm. We can look at it as cherishing others even more because we have that had that isolation. Um, but I heard a term yesterday called uh, COVID fatigue. Oh yeah, <laughs> I heard that one too recently. And where people are just kind of tired. Well, the thing is, their minds are just bored. And that's what happens. The boredom drives us to this point of fatigue because we're not using it in the same activity that we were doing before, how it's constantly racing. So if they could channel that energy into something that would give them happiness, like what would they do to help others when they're out of this situation? Or what can I do to prevent this system from continuing the way it is? And just think that way of helping others, they'll see that that boredom becomes energy and that energy becomes compassion and from that compassion it becomes love yes i really like that because i hadn't considered that the fatigue is just boredom mm -hmm. that our mind is not moving and really like i think back to pre-covid which like it does feel like a million years ago <laughs> and i was exhausted mm -hmm. i felt like if i could just stop all of the running <laughs> It would help me so much. But then, you know, now here I am five months later and I'm feeling fatigued. And so like that is really helpful oh, to right. think that, you know, it's like, where can I channel the energy from my mind? Yeah. Like, what can I be thinking about? Exactly. Exactly. What can I do to help help myself and others? Yes. Yes. You know, I, I, I was laughing a, a while ago because I couldn't help but um, think of, you know, be careful what you wish for. You may I actually know. get it. <laughs> I know it. It's true. But if you look at the world around from COVID itself, the, uh, you know, it's a very horrible disease. It's, it's very um, difficult to deal with. But one of the actual benefits is it, even nature has improved. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, they're saying that they're, in India alone, the, the um, pollution is dissipated so much that they can actually see the Himalayan mountains clearly. You know, animals wow. are coming back. So it shows you that if we slow down, these benefits will happen. So if we use this time wisely, and if we're isolated, and use it for our spiritual growth in what we're doing, no matter what your faith is, mm -hmm. and actually analyzing it and taking it to heart, this can become a purity for ourselves. Yes. You know, and I visited uh, Nikhil uh, last weekend or the weekend before, and I was telling her that uh, one of my favorite poets is Wordsworth. And one of the first lines of one of the poems is that uh, the world is too much with us. Getting and spending, we lay waste our powers. And I think that's mm. what we were so busy doing pre-COVID okay. that we never understood that there are other things outside of us. And if it stops getting and spending and grasping and all of these things, we can use those that same energy to do something that's good and beneficial to mankind. Exactly, exactly. And that's what the whole idea of the teachings that we're using with Buddhist teachings now during adverse times is to understand that you can change your mind. A mind is meant to be able to be changed. It's not fixed. Oh. It's not a fixed oh, object. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
so we can change our minds and change our view. What do we call that? The um the fixed the fixed mindset. mindset. Yeah. Yeah, we have we have this fixed mindset that believes that you know things are what they are, and when that's truly not what they are, and that's one of the basic teachings behind the most difficult topic to teach in Buddhism, which is emptiness. <laughs> Yes, yes. That one actually threw me for a loop because I was reading something. I was like, what do you mean empty? What do you mean the space between our, like what? (laughs) That was very hard. It is is a very hard subject and it's hard to teach it to someone who has no experience with it. But basically when I do teach that type of topic in my general class, Mm -hmm. I just try to remind people that, you know, the basic line is what Geshe Kielsen Gyatso, who we affectionately call Geshe-la, it's like a, our father or grandfather. So we say, Yeshla always tells us, remember, everything is created by mind. Hmm. And so when you say that, and I said, take it to heart and listen to that. Because everything you see, everything you touch, every feeling that arises, everything that comes to you is created by your mind. Which means if your mind is not fixed, which it is not, can change. Hmm. So if you look at it that direction and then say, so then the things I normally see do not appear the way they are, which means they're empty of existence from their own side. Okay, I have to admit, that is where my brain just went. Yeah, it, it can become mind blowing. It becomes <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll just look at it this way. One of the examples I like to give is if we see a table, and we call it a table, and every other language is a name for for the table. But when the dog walks by the table, does he call it a table? Huh. <laughs> this is true. So his mind and his perspective of labeling it is different. Yeah. So, but which, but which one is it? Mm-hmm. Does it truly exist? <laughs> yeah. Well, see, that made more sense to me. <laughs> well, see, that's how we break it down. <laughs> but what I really love is this, because I know that sometimes I struggle. Like, I'm a planner, mm-hmm. and I can be kind of type A. And so I like to like plan it out you know, months in advance and kind of go, okay, this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And um, I have really learned a lot from either getting insight from others who just kind of speak into my life who say, well, Nikhil, why didn't you just do this instead? And that has kind of helped me realize that I can come at things from multiple points of view, Mm -hmm. but especially during COVID, which like, I feel like I have a perpetual headache sometimes when I'm thinking, okay, we're going to be done in eight weeks. Wait, not eight weeks. And then what happens with the school? Wait, we're changing that. And then what happens with, you know, kind of all of these other things that what I'm realizing as a person and as a psychologist is that nothing was ever fixed. We just conceived of the world that way. Everything was always moving around. Correct. You're absolutely correct. And when you apply that to your own vision of all things, you're able to deal with the change completely and you maintain a happy mind during the change so this is giving you peace of mind. And that's the understanding of emptiness. <laughs> yeah. It's a fundamental shift, though, I think. Oh, yeah. Because that is, I mean, especially in the U.S., like we're so concrete. Yes. 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 
Yeah, we expect everything to be A to B to B to C to C to D. It has to be linear or it doesn't exist. My favorite thing I saw in a colleague's office some years ago where he had a drawing. It was a straight line and um, it said what we think progress looks like. And then there was a big ball of squiggly, you know, kind of scribble, scrabble. Mm-hmm. And then under that, it said, what progress in life actually right. looks like. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Our father, like you said, uh, Geshela, always says when adversity hits, you know, this is our teaching and abilities to deal with it and to always maintain a happy mind. By maintaining a happy mind, we can deal with any situation. Yes. And I even relate that back to my old uh, law enforcement training is by having a patient mind, you'd be able to deal with all the situations that arise. Because if you go in there with guns blazing, you never know what's going really going on. That's true. Yeah, it sounds like asking questions is mm-hmm. part of this oh, as yes. well, Ron. That's why one of our Buddha's teachings is always ask, always ask questions. Question everything. But it, it also brings me to something else. In your faith, is it okay not to get the answers to your questions? Oh, definitely. <laughs> you're not going to get them right away, but they will come eventually. And that's one of the things our founder, Geshe Kelsen, mm-hmm. says, is you may read something or you may have a teaching of something that you may not understand completely, but you've received the blessings and the seeds for this information to sit in your mind. So eventually, when you it will arise, that it will happen, that you will get the complete answer to what you're looking for, and it will be there. It may not be at that moment, but, you know, just have faith that it will happen. And it usually does. Recently, I've talked to some practitioners and teachers, and we have said the same thing all of a sudden in the last couple of years, because we've had, I've been practicing since 2009. Um, All of a sudden, it's just like these giant puzzle pieces are starting to fit into each other. And it's like, wow, so this goes with this and this goes with this. And that's how it Mm -hmm. works. So, yeah, just have patience. Patience is a very good thing to have. And this might seem kind of tangential, but I don't know. I'm kind of thinking about patience and quieting your mind and emptiness. And something that occurred to me that is happening a lot during the time when we have to be at home and there's not, you know, kind of entertainment endlessly outside Mm -hmm. is all of this streaming Mm -hmm. stuff where you, I mean, you can watch anything under the sun. There's like, I don't even... I don't even know how many streaming services there are and how many millions of programs are on each platform. Mm-hmm. What do you make of the fact that in modern times we have crammed our um, kind of every inch of our lives full of things to do that aren't necessarily, I mean, I think leisure is important, but this is like well beyond that. It's yeah. so that you never have to have a moment. Right. You, like the example of someone sitting on an iPhone for 24 hours a day, just flicking and flicking and going through. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, what happens is what I see from my own perspective is that we eventually will get to a point where we're bored with that because yeah. it's not satisfying enough, you know. And if the good fortune and karma ripens, well, we may land on something that actually sparks the interest to do a little bit more of something that's beneficial. That's a good thing. For example, maybe there's a good book that someone actually downloads and actually reads and enjoys it instead of just constantly flicking or steps onto a, a teaching that you know touches their heart. 
Uh, we just recently, or we're still in the process of having our international summer festival in England. And this is the first year that it wasn't attended by anyone there. And we're doing it through the internet. Oh, neat. Yeah, it is. And the t-shirt that for the summer festival, which is amazing, is called Interconnected. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, we've been receiving the teachings and myself personally and another friend of mine and my assistant teacher, her and I were discussing it. And we felt that because of the this ability to have this uh, internet ability, we felt like we had a one-on-one teaching with the one of the highest level teachers that we had. So it was like this personal teaching and it was so blessed in this feeling of that. Mm-hmm. So we can you can use it for the proper thing. It's like anything. You can use it for good or you could use it for bad. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, Because I just kind of feel like we have like Vegas in our house where like everything lights up and you've got all these notifications and like, you know, you can stay on this thing endlessly without like, without ever connecting or engaging, but you're right. Like you wouldn't be able to, to learn and, and meet people the way that you are now. Correct. Correct. And uh, one of the good things, like I said, with my, uh, I teach uh, usually Tuesday mornings at 10 a.m. One of the things that's funny about it is we've been getting a lot of new people coming in and it's, it's great. You know, they're just opening their minds to it because this is giving them the opportunity. Whereas some people have a fear of entering into a Buddhist center or temple. And uh-huh. so this gives them an insight on what it's really like. And, you know, People are coming back. You know, it's one of the things that they would like to try, especially with the idea of letting them know that, you know, everybody's welcome. There's nothing forced. You're, you can do whatever you want, per se, is understand. You know, if you don't understand, you can contact the teacher. We do all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really important because, like, I grew up in a different faith tradition. I grew up in um, the Christian church, although I went to a whole bunch of different mm-hmm. denominations. And I know that what I found sometimes for myself, as well as like if I were with other people who grew up in different faith traditions than me, was this idea that it's almost like a club mm-hmm. and everybody knows when to sit down and stand up and what you're supposed to say. <laughs> and if you don't know, then everyone's going to look at you. So I don't want to do it. Yep. Yep. And so I imagine that there might be some of that. Oh, that, as definitely. Well. Definitely. And one of the things, especially when we had the interaction of classes where people came into the classes, we told them right off the bat, we want to welcome you into this is our like our home. You're our new family member. We just want you to relax and be happy. Don't expect anything because we don't expect anything from you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's really open. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We try to make everyone feel welcome. And that's what it comes down to. And usually, they usually tell us that they felt pretty welcome and they were you know they were a little nervous at first said, don't worry about it because we do engage in some kind of uh prayers and things like that and i said breed we tell people right off the beginning feel free to sing along if you don't don't worry about it it's only five minutes and change and so when we're done we're done read the words if you like no, no worries hmm. that's good well i mean it, it sounds like that really very much mirrors a lot of like the teachings in terms of being curious, being open, and trying to find a way that the teachings connect with right your life yeah exactly exactly, and this is a way that you can see that these teachings and by the example of the teacher giving maybe a little bit of their own experience of it, how you can connect that to your day to day life because if you connect it to the day to day life, you are now benefiting yourself and everyone around you. Because that energy comes off of you as you being a happy person. Yeah. And one of the examples I like to use in my teachings is 
you ever go to a party and there's a one person that's super bubbly and everybody wants to be around them. <laughs> uh-huh. And there's this other person who just sits in the corner and gripes. <laughs> Nobody wants yeah. to be near them. So <laughs> when you have a happy mind, that's who you are, the happy person. Yeah. Huh. No, I'm just, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about everything that you've shared with us as well as just how that ties in psychologically. Mm-hmm. Because something that I've been thinking about a lot as people kind of say, well, I did this or that, but that means that I'm a terrible person or only good people do this. And since I didn't, that must mean that I'm terrible. And so there, you're right. There's so much in our minds that, that um, determine how we feel. It's like the stories that we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And exactly. so from that point of view, and I guess I'm asking you a, philosophical and psychological question run Mm -hmm. from the point of view of like where somebody is psychologically struggling with um, just a lot of negative thinking. Right. From kind of a Buddhist point of view, is it kind of, is the goal more for them to just kind of empty their mind of thoughts and be present in the moment? Or are they supposed to be, I guess, because some psychological theories talk about like replacing the negative thought with something else. Like, mm-hmm. w- what is it from a, a Buddhist point of view? Well, a Buddhist point of view would bring it back to the idea of what needs were not being met. And if you can see that this negativity is coming from your own side, that you're creating it with the self-grasping mind and the self-cherishing mind, mm-hmm. then you are creating the fault. So you can change the, there is no fault. So, and, uh, and if you give them the example of nothing you've done is bad, only you have labeled it that way. So we, no one else is labeling it that way you are. So if you okay. let go of that label, it will dissipate and you can charge of your happiness. Okay. That goes back to that theory. Actually, they, mm-hmm. they actually have a term for that. They call it, I think, languaging. Mm-hmm when we kind of put the label, right. okay. All right. Yeah. They, they, they stole a lot from you guys. We <laughs> <laughs> do say that. <laughs> and I think they give credit cause they kind of say, you know, like you can learn more about this. Mm-hmm. So yeah. 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 And uh, these, these teachings are over, uh, was it uh, 2,600 years? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And we just, we just strayed away from a lot of the uh, understanding of how our mind works because we, we bombard ourselves with so many different things so we don't feel and understand our feelings that we push it all away looking to blame other yeah. things. And I think sometimes in pushing it away, we actually try to say we push it away and there's that void and we fill the void with other things and that are not necessary. Correct. And that's one of the things that we come through is one of the other points that everything is impermanent. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to understand that, but everyone's looking for external happiness from different things, cars, homes, TVs, you know, other people, but none of that's permanent. The only permanent happiness is what you create from inside of you. And that's what you bring with love, compassion, wisdom. All of that is within you and the powers that you have. So you are the most powerful being to create this. So if you tap into it, you'll always have endless happiness, which is enlightenment, peace of mind. So good, so good. Wow. Yeah, I think we've taken much more of your time than we had. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fine. 
No, it was really good. And just, I, I think like you gave, at least for me, a lot of thinking points where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm playing that back. <laughs> well, that's that one of the things we try to do within our classes. We try to give you something to think about because once, what happens with that is if you leave our class and you're contemplating it over and over again, you're actually putting virtuous thoughts in your mind over and over again. So you're seeing things purely. Ah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for helping us and our listeners. Oh, no problem. Engage in virtuous thoughts. That's, I mean, really, really helpful, especially during this time when I think what we're thinking and feeling, like this is where kind of the rubber meets the road mm-hmm. because there's not a whole lot that we can quote do. Right. And so it's, it's a, a lot of it is in our head and being able to, you know, weather this storm. Yeah. And just like, and let go. Okay. Yeah. But before, Ron, before you leave, I'm sure Nikhil is going to ask your favorite language. Oh, thanks for the reminder. I almost forgot. Okay. So if you could go back in time and talk to your 15-year-old self, what would you tell him? <laughs> uh, all the worries and all the thoughts that you had that you were scared of never came true. And just be happy because when you have a happy mind, everything works out. And to love every being truly for what they are. Oh, well said. Yeah, I like yeah, that. Well said. Well, is there anything else you wanted to share with our listeners? I feel like you you gave us a lot, so really do appreciate you, Ron. No, no. Feel free to um, actually look go on our website. Uh, was it meditationintampabay.org? In and if you'd like to join any one of our classes, feel free to join one, see what it's all about. And from there, my email is also listed on there. If anyone has any questions or would like to even send me an email. Perfect. What I'll do, Ron, is I will post, um, when I post the episode, mm-hmm. I will post the website okay, great. and your contact email as well so that all they have to do is go into the the. Oh my gosh, I'm blanking. The episode notes. (laughs) And they'll be able to find you easily. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great day. You too. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That interview gave me a lot to think about. And I think one of the gifts that I get from this podcast is that in addition to doing the interviews with mom, I also get to do the editing. So I hear it more than once. And I found myself right back in that conversation with Ron, thinking through things in a new way. And I hope that um, you had that experience too. So that was only part one of our journey through spirituality in the time of COVID. And part two is going to have us speaking with an Episcopal priest. Please join us. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate and subscribe to at the same time on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. That way you won't miss a single episode. We'd love for you to connect with us online. Our website is sametimepod.fireside.fm. You can also follow us on Twitter at sametimepod. Music by purpleplanet.com. Copyright 2020 by Nikel Rogers Wood, Ph.D. and Elsa Rogers, Ph.D.